such an important issue in fundraising when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and when we think about ethical fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Sanjukevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Tara Adams and by Tony Pomonis. Tara and Tony are the founders of Cognitive Empowerment Consulting Group. Tara also is part of the fundraising team at North Carolina State University, while Tony raises money at the University of Central Florida. And Tara, thanks so much for being with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And Tony, greetings to you as well. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Bill. We appreciate it. So the two of you have come together on this important topic of how can we fundraise, if at all, from our neighbors who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. Tara, let me start with you. What led you and Tony to specialize in this field of fundraising? Yeah, so Tony and I started in this space specifically because we had each had our own harrowing experience as fundraisers, where we encountered a donor who was older and clearly was not in a space cognitively where they should be having conversations about making a gift. And this led us each on our own path where we discovered, you know, thankfully in the moment we had done the right thing, but in seeking out additional help, resources, you know, best practices, there was simply nothing there. And through a, a fortuitous connection at a conference, we met each other and started down this path to do this important work. And Tony, how long had you been fundraising before these experiences started to happen? And where were you turning for those resources to, to try to help you as you were meeting donors in this situation? Yeah, Bill, it was right, right at the onset. So I jumped into fundraising with both feet in 2015. And within six to nine months of my uh, assuming that role at the University of Illinois, I started to have these harrowing experiences and encounters with individuals. And when I would go back to the home office and ask for supervis uh, supervisory support and guidance, I was really shocked at the dearth of, of available resources in, in ways in which folks could really direct me to learn more about this topic. And, and that's really what led us down this path of discovery and research and ultimately collaboration. So Tara, all three of us work in higher education. Our, our research colleagues like to talk about, you know, doing a landscape analysis, right? What exists now and what are the strengths? What are the gaps before we try to discover what's new? Help us understand that process for you and Tony. Tony mentioned, I'm going through this. I'm not finding any resources. I'm assuming the same was true for you. And thus was born the Cognitive Empowerment Consulting Group. What were you guys finding and, and what gaps did you see that led you deeper into this work? Frankly, Bill, we weren't finding anything. Uh, we had both done our own individual searches. There was nothing at the institutional level. There was nothing regionally, nationally that we could find that was specifically addressing this topic of how to ethically and legal handle a situation when you're encountering a donor who is showing signs of cognitive impairment, who may have a diagnosis such as Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And you know, we definitely started down our own path of trying to build those resources out Certainly the case donor bill of rights was incredibly helpful. AFP's principles of ethical fundraising was also a great cornerstone for us to begin our own work in developing some of these resources. But importantly, in neither of those documents, is there anything specific to how to handle the situation of cognitive impairment in elderly donors? And Tony, how did you go about building guidelines for fundraising in this circumstance? It's important to note, Bill, that Tara and I just went about this in an almost discovery mode. 
we wanted to talk with as many different people as possible to learn from, from other experiences and, and possible best practices. And we started putting pen to paper. And, and we did this, we really cut our teeth on holding these conversations internal to our institution. So there was a major uh, gift officer roundtable that we led back in 2017. This led naturally to us presenting at regional and at ultimately national conferences. And we looked to those foundational documents as sort of like a lodestone or a wayfinder. How could we codify and structure things at our, at our previous institution to really create the best practices and guidelines? And we just started over communicating with all of our peers, not just fundraisers. It's important to note that we were talking to kids in the call centers, that we were talking to folks that were in annual giving, donor relations, advancement services. And the more conversations we held, the more stories we heard that were absolutely germane and salient to this very important topic. And we gained so much in terms of insights. And it was just that sort of natural, almost innocent progression of us trying to put pen to paper and to, to preach and spread this gospel that led to us really uh, co-authoring the uh, guidelines and best practices for ethical fundraising at the U of I system. And we became aware of the work of Tony and Tara at an AFP ICON conference in the year 2023 down in New Orleans. And their workshop was very well received. And, you know, Tara, obviously that was like a 75 minute presentation. We're asking you to summarize here. What were some of those key themes? And Tony, I'll ask you the same question to follow up. But Tara, to start with you, what are some of the key practical themes and steps that you're encouraging fundraisers to take? when they encounter a donor with intellectual and or developmental disabilities? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, what's most important is educating fundraisers on how to recognize the signs that you may be dealing with someone who has a cognitive impairment issue. I think far too often we have fundraisers who come out of a situation who go a little odd and don't recognize that what may have actually transpired were some signs and symptoms that someone may not possess the cognitive capacity to be having a conversation about a gift. So I think that's really important off the bat. And, you know, secondly, I think it's really important to recognize that no matter what best practices your institution implements, it's important that no one ever has to make a decision about this type of situation in a vacuum. It should always be a team effort. A fundraiser should never have to make a decision on their own about how to move forward when they're faced with this situation. And so Tony Tara talked about identification, awareness that somebody might have a cognitive impairment. We can go back with our colleagues and discuss how to work through this. How do we work through this? Do we just simply stop because we think the person's not capable of making a you know a rational, well-informed, reliable decision? Are there other ways we can go about approaching this donor? What advice do you have for fundraisers in that regard? So Bill, you really cut to the heart of it here. And if someone doesn't have donative capacity, if they have some form of dementia or cognitive impairment, then they are unable to make a gift. So I always land on do the right thing and get caught doing it. You know, we do not solicit the cognitively impaired for major gift work ever. We're part of a noble profession. We've got to do the right kinds of things and we've got to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day. You know, this is not some bad movie from the 20th century where we're closing deals and uh, conducting lunches over martinis. Now, this is very important, meaningful work for the social good. And right at the beginning of that, we've got we've got to be very almost philosophical about this. We've, we've got to do the right thing. And we cannot be soliciting the cognitively impaired for major gift work. 
ever. And part of that is having what Tara described as a very deep and meaningful conversation with teams of folks. Could it be internal to our institution? Could it be folks that are decision makers in that particular individual's orbit? You know, we've got to have that kind of approach where we're rolling up our sleeves and we're doing the hard work to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Tony, that was so well said and is consistent with our teaching at the fundraising school where we emphasize we don't teach fundraising. We teach ethical fundraising. That goes back to our founder in 1974, Dr. Henry Rosso. And ethical teaching is part of every single one of our courses, either as a module or woven through the curriculum. And you summarize that so well. Tara, let me ask you, and again, this is not meant to sidestep the donor who has a cognitive impairment or you know, kind of move around or manipulate, but but a fundraiser might think, hmm, I wonder if they've granted power of attorney to a family member or you know, some type of decision-making authority to a friend or a family member. Is that part of this work or is it just this person has an impairment? We're just going to politely decline uh, and not fundraise from this person. No, I think that's an incredibly important part of this conversation. And while Tony hit it on the head, we do not solicit the cognitively impaired. In transitioning them to stewardship, we're still respecting and honoring the relationship that they have developed with your organization or institution. And we're not also saying that a gift is necessarily dead simply because you encounter someone who may not possess the cognitive capacity to make a gift. If you are including others, which may include someone who possesses power of attorney or conservatorship over that donor or that prospect, you can shift that giving conversation while still respecting that relationship that the donor has. So I don't think that's sidestepping them at all. That's ensuring that their legacy with your organization is being respected and that any giving that they may still want to do can happen with the right person. And Tony, I think, you know, this is a challenging situation that needs to be handled with great care. And uh, I'll ask you maybe to conclude, and then I'll ask both of you for words of advice. But, you know, Tara started at the beginning with the, the whole important point of identification. And I'm thinking, what does it mean for a fundraiser who's known a donor for a long time? Like we might meet somebody for the first time and see if they have a cognitive impairment. But I've known somebody for a long time, and now I'm starting to, to notice some things, right? Maybe notice some difference. In, in their behaviors and their communication abilities and so on and so forth. I would think that would just be so difficult for the fundraiser to just try to identify what's happening there. Has this been part of the advice that you provide through the Cognitive Empowerment Consulting Group? Absolutely, Bill. And part of this is that, you know, cognitive impairment and cognitive decline, when they are first detectable, there's an arc, there's a spectrum, and things can accelerate rapidly. One of the things that Tara mentioned about stewardship and it not necessarily meaning the conclusion or end of a, of a major gift is absolutely true. I implore everyone to just be very, very courageous and to conduct an, an almost investigation to make sure that we are covering all the bases, to communicate, to over-communicate, to try to reach out to those family members. The best way that I can really articulate this or exemplify this work, Bill, is in my own harrowing experience, we'll call this couple John and Jane, John sat me down and said, Tony, Jane is the same wonderful, talented, beautiful woman that I married 50 years ago, but some days she is not herself. And in that particular instance, John had conservatorship and he ultimately made the major gift decision on Jane's behalf. So I urge all fundraisers and all folks that are in advancement to just be intrepid and to do the right thing and to continue to do this work because it's meaningful, it's productive, and it's really, really good for society for us to be talking about these things. 
can learn so much today from Tara Adams and Tony Pomonis, and they have given us some good practical steps to take as well. Uh, Tara and Tony, as I mentioned, uh, we learned about your work through an extensive workshop that you provided for AFP ICON. I just want to see if you have any final words of advice for fundraisers, since we're highlighting, you know, your expertise here in this podcast. You know, Tara, let me turn to you first and, and then to Tony. What, Tara, what final words of advice do you have for fundraisers if they find themselves in this situation? My final advice is to know that you are not alone. You are not the only person who has had this experience. You're not the only person at your organization who has had this experience. So if this happens to you, I strongly recommend that you reach out to your peers, reach out to us, reach out to others you know, who can help you through this situation and be able to let you know that this is not something you have to deal with on your own. Tony? Yeah, I'd return to the the idea that ours is a noble profession, and we're in this for the the betterment of society and the social good, and it's a it's a noble calling. It's one I think that we're all up up for and we're alive to, and just keep on the great work because this is just a dream come true for us to be doing this for a living. And I couldn't ask for a better set of partners and colleagues with which to conduct this work. Tara Adams and Tony Pomonis, founders of Cognitive Empowerment Consulting Group, and Tara raising money at North Carolina State University, Tony raising money for the University of Central Florida. And with any ethical issue in life, and including with fundraising, the best we can do is to try to prepare in advance as best as we can. So to not have this issue or any ethical issue surprise us, if at all possible. So now that we're aware of this issue, find those resources, have those conversations, build this into your gift acceptance policy, into your fundraising plan, so that when you encounter a donor in this situation, you're as ready as you possibly can be to handle each situation individually with a set of ethical guidelines. And it's very likely something that's going to happen more and more as a population, we're living longer. And if our bodies are staying physically healthy, maybe our minds are not. And we hear more about cognitive impairments as our society grows older. So it's such an important topic as we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging that includes our neighbors who have different disabilities. Uh, and of course, as we think about ethical fundraising, this is woven through all of our curriculum at the fundraising school, 22 public courses leading to four different certificates. We teach in person and online. We also have custom training that we can design specifically for your nonprofit, your association, your region in the United States, anywhere across the world. We have quarterly webinars. We have these free podcasts. And all of this is gathered in our book, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition that came out in 2022. All the information available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm so grateful to our guests today, Tara Adams and Tony Pomonis. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.